Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We're going to John chapter 7. Let's just pray a moment. Father, we ask for our ears to be opened and our eyes to see. We cannot perceive spiritual things without you, but with your revelation, we can see things that are eternal, things that transform us. Jesus, you are our teacher, you are our Lord, and we ask you to teach us the word today. We would be like you. We would follow you. We would listen to you. And I pray for the grace to to let you speak today through the word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, John chapter 7. We're going to talk about where I am. I'll start at verse 25, and I'm going to go down to verse 36. What you need to understand is, well, let me just set it up a minute. This is, we are in the last six months of of Jesus' ministry before he is crucified and resurrected. We're probably in the month of October. Uh, We're at the Feast of Booths in Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus has, has gone down to Jerusalem, but this feast, this Feast of Booths, he will not celebrate. He does not partake in the activities of the Feast of Booths because the Feast of Booths actually has a very, uh, very prophetic quality about the, the coming of God's kingdom. And it's not, Jesus is very aware that his death and resurrection have to come before the coming of all the glories of the kingdom. Uh, so he's going to celebrate Passover big time. Remember he said, I desire to celebrate this feast with you, but he will not. He'll skip this feast of booths, but he will go to Jerusalem and minister to the crowds that have gathered in the city. He doesn't show up for the first half of the week. Uh, it's, it's actually an eight day long uh, festival and he shows up right about in the middle of it. And uh, the, the priests have been looking for him. They want to kill him. Uh, the, the, the decision's really been made. I remind you that don't think of these high priests as good people. This is a family that with its money bought the high priesthood from the Romans. So you've got a vile, uh, you know, you've got that kind of thing like the Medicis in, you know, in, in, in Italy's history. It's that kind of thing. This is just an ugly situation. And, and that's who Annas and uh, Caiaphas, uh, Caiaphas is the son-in-law of the, of the old man, that kind of thing. So that's who's running the show. So just keep that kind of ugly environment in mind uh, when you, you see this. Well, they've decided to kill Jesus. They want to get rid of him. Uh, and he didn't show up. And they were asking when the pilgrims would come down from Galilee and all, is, is Jesus of Nazareth with you? And he, he wasn't. And they didn't know where he was. So uh, in the middle of that week, he just shows up in the temple courtyard. Undoubtedly, he was under the big covered uh, shaded structure called the Portico of Solomon on the south end. That's where everybody gathered to get out of the sun. And, and so he's there and a great crowd gathers. Uh, the, the priests and the, and the Pharisees, the Pharisaical leaders, are shocked he's there. And they gather into the fringes of the crowd and mix in to listen to him. And this dialogue ensues. But what you're going to see is he's talking right now. He will talk to the very people. Listen to this. He will talk to the very people that are going to kill him. This uh, Levitical guard. Let me, let me just say something about that. Uh, 
what you don't realize, and just nobody's really made this clear, is that it, the, the, the temple area, the whole thing, had a religious police force. It's Levites. G David set this up. If you go back into Chronicles, you can read all about it. He divided based on the, on the tribal areas where the Levites lived. Came up with 12. And each of these groups would come and they would serve for a month, a year. And then they'd be off duty. And they, he, he had assignments for worshipers, singers, and musicians. That's, that's one group of people. And they'd come and yeah, that, that group of families would come and do this uh, each year. And then he had, he had uh, guards for the, actually the king's house uh, and the treasury. And he had a guard for the temple precinct itself, keeping anyone ho unholy out. These are people with swords. These are people who have weapons. Uh, they are a Levitical police. That's who arrested Jesus in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane. It was not Roman soldiers that came out to get him. If you recall, the high priest, uh, they came to, to Pilate and said, uh, we want to... Uh, we, after he was crucified, they said, um, this, uh, this deceiver, uh, he, he told his followers that he would, he would rise again in three days. Notice, they're the only people in town who get it. They knew, he said, I'm coming back in three days. Uh, his disciples, they're just dumb as a post. Uh, <laughs> Lloyd Post used to sit over here going, dumb as a post, every time I'd say that. But they, they don't get it. But the priests did, they heard him. And Pilate says to them, you have a guard, you secure it. In other words, I'm not spending money on this. You want to guard it? Guard it. It's not my problem. So they sent the Levitical guard out there. Picture that's the group then when the angels, when the earthquake happens and the stone rolls away and, and there sit the angels, you know, and they collapse in fear. I mean, they, they, they faint uh, on the spot. And then they come back and they talk to the priest. And I'll pick that up a little later. So that's, that's who's, who's sitting there. You've got Levitical guard have come. Uh, and some of these Pharisee leaders. Pharisee is a big movement. But this is Pharisee leaders. And some of the priests are there. And these are the people who are going to kill him. And he talks to them. Let's hear what he says. I'll start at verse 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? Uh, in other words, the, the, the locals all know that there's a, basically a warrant out for his arrest. Look, he's speaking publicly and they are saying nothing to him. So they're marveling that these nobody moves in on him. And then there's an odd translation, but it, what it really says is, perhaps in truth, the rulers know that this is the Christ. However, we know where this man is from, but whenever the Christ may come, where, no one knows where he is from. Uh, I'll mention something about that later. Then Jesus cried out in the temple teaching and saying, You both know me and know where I am from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to seize him. And no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. But many of the crowd believed in him. And they were saying, when the Christ comes, when Messiah comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. And the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers, there it is, that's the Levitical guard, to seize him. Therefore, Jesus said, for a little while longer I am with you. Then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and will not find me. 
and where I am, you cannot come. Would you read that verse 34 with me out loud? You will seek me, and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews, and again that means the religious leaders, not everybody who's Jewish, the religious leaders said uh, to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? He's not intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? That's the term they used for all of the Jews who lived in foreign cities, who didn't speak Hebrew, who had many of the local culture, but were still Jewish. It is not talking about Greek people. So he's saying, is he going to go to Ephesus or Alexandria someplace and, and, and move into the Jewish communities there and start teaching his, his doctrine? Um, what is this statement that he said, you will seek me and you will not find me and where I am? You cannot come. We want to answer that question today. There are many painful things we endure in life. But I think the most painful is strife. There are forces inside us and all around us that drive us apart. So we all live with the uncertainty of being abandoned. Never sure who may leave us or why. That makes love a very dangerous matter. To give our hearts to someone is to risk rejection. We become vulnerable to the whims of another person and people. And being the weak creatures we are, often end up hurting us. And for that matter, we're just as likely to hurt them. In other words, you don't hurt me, I'll get you. Uh, isn't this the pain of life? I mean, yes, we go through all sorts of stuff and there's lots of hardships. But I think the thing that really drains life of its joy, that drains us of our energy, I think it brings physical illness when it, when it lasts long and is, and is intense, is the tension and strife between people. The fact is you never know who is going to get angry, who's going to get offended, and who's going to walk on you. Who's going to close their heart down on you. And so you walk on eggshells. And the longer life goes on, the more you are very careful and, and actually guard your heart and don't want to give it to anyone because you don't know who's going to, who's going to, who's going to reject you uh, and turn on you. So you start out kind of naively. This is one of the wonders of childhood is you start out just loving and giving your little heart away. And then as time goes on, you learn, I don't dare do that, man. And I, when I give my heart away, it gets, it gets hurt, right? This is the pain. I think it's the thing, I think it's the thing that takes the joy out of life. Uh, when, I'm going to say right now, the, th the greatest gift I think God gives us is peace. And, and what I mean by peace is, is the, that, that word shalom. Uh, when I was just in Israel, I bought myself a little metal uh, art piece of art. It says shalom, and it's all painted beautifully. And I got it in the kitchen. Uh, shalom is not just uh, the peace of no, of no, uh, of no uh, war or something like that. Uh, shalom means the peace that comes when everyone loves each other. And when God's blessing is there. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no division. We're at peace. Have you been in such environments? Where you get together with, with people or in situations where everybody is safe. You can trust each other. Uh, nobody's going to turn on you. Nobody's going to say something ugly. Now, we all know we... I, I hear of families who just, just dread getting together at Christmas or at Thanksgiving because, you know, uncle so-and-so or whoever's going to say something or do something. We always get... You know, the two brothers end up in a fist fight in the backyard and, you know, I mean, this kind of thing. So, so nobody really enjoys those. I've heard people cynically say, you know, you, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family, you know, this kind of thing. And yet when you have a family gathering where everyone is at peace with each other and, and you can say your heart and you can be who you are 
and no one's going to turn on you and be offended. Isn't that lovely? I mean, it's just like, oh. That's what heaven's going to be, people. That's what Jesus came to bring us. He came to bring us a love like that that says, I will love you even in your weakness. I will love you even when you make mistakes. If you do something dumb, I'm going to talk to you about it, but I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to divorce you. We'll just work it through till we love each other afresh. Amen? That's, that's the greatest gift of all. I think the most wonderful gift we will receive in heaven is peace. I guess I skipped some other stuff, didn't I, there? And for that matter, we're, we're just as likely to hurt them. Love, for, so loving anyone here on planet Earth is dangerous. And as time passes, the wounds we suffer cause us to grow increasingly cautious, which leaves us fewer and fewer friends. I think the most wonderful gift we will receive in heaven is peace. In particular, heaven will be a safe place to love. Separation, abandonment, and betrayal won't be there. Those, those you love will love you back forever. And what, that kind of love will fill our hearts because that's the way we have been loved by Jesus. And we'll love and we'll be with him, with him forever. In the passage we're reading today, Jesus is talking to some of the very people who are going to kill him. But instead of railing against the injustice they have planned, he warns them that he is ready to die, but that they are not. In the future... They would deeply regret what they were about to do. But by then it would be too late. Thankfully, it is not too late for us. Those who lived in Jerusalem knew that the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus. So they were shocked to watch them stand there and make no attempt to arrest him. Some wrongly assumed that this meant that the leaders had changed their mind about him. They later said to each other, Perhaps in truth the rulers knew that this is the Messiah. They were amazed that those leaders had been so easily deceived. In their minds, the priests and Pharisees should have known that Jesus could not possibly be the Messiah because everyone knew he came from Nazareth. And when the Messiah comes, no one knows from where he is. That's the literal. Apparently, there were popular teachers at the time that said that the Messiah would appear suddenly from heaven. Now, stop and think about it. Are there passages in the Old Testament that say he will appear suddenly from heaven? There certainly are. And of course, there are Old Testament passages that describe the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. And in doing so, picture a sudden appearance of the Messiah. Remember, he come down, his foot will touch uh, the Mount of Olives and it'll split, etc. like that. So I, I imagine this group is saying, wait a minute, he, he grew up from Nazareth, for heaven's sakes. And he's gonna, when the Messiah comes, he'll come from heaven and his foot will touch the mountain, it'll split. This, this can't be the guy, he's just a carpenter, for heaven's sakes. Uh, and there are... Uh, when he arrives from heaven to set up God's kingdom on earth, uh, the Bible is actually very specific about where the Messiah would be born. And that place is Bethlehem. But it seems that this group thought that Jesus had been born in Nazareth. And since the, he, they knew the location of his hometown in their minds, that meant he could not be the Messiah. Jesus heard these comments and realized that confusion was spreading through the crowd. So he raised his voice until it was loud enough for all to hear and said to them, in effect, you think you know me and where I am from, but your knowledge is superficial and incomplete. The real reason you're so confused right now is because you have no relationship with God. You lack spiritual insight and have no discernment. He's trying to show you the truth about me, but you can't hear him. I know him because I came from being beside him and he sent me here. 
This remark highly offended some of those in the crowd, and they must have surged forward to try to grab him, but were unable to reach him. The, the word literally says they wanted to, with their hands, they wanted to grab him. Uh, to reach him. John says there were many in the crowd who did believe in him and it's likely that some of them stepped in to prevent the attackers from reaching him. It's not his time. So I think this, some of them start surging forward. They're going to go after him and yet the followers in the crowd go, no you don't. And so you've got this scuffle that occurs and he is uh, he's spared in the moment. John tells us that God was ultimately protecting Jesus because his hour had not yet come. Meaning that it was not yet God's appointed time for Jesus to be arrested and die. That hour would come the following spring during Passover. For now, in spite of all the opposition toward him by the religious leaders, many of those who saw or even heard about the miracles Jesus performed realized that these were important signs that could not be ignored. They asked themselves and others, when the Messiah comes, he will not do more signs than that which this man did, will he? The Pharisees grew alarmed when they heard people making these positive statements about Jesus. They sensed that the tide of public opinion was turning toward him. So they reported the situation to the chief priests and Pharisees because that group had the authority to send Levitical guards to arrest him. Verse 33. Notice how Jesus describes what will happen to him after he dies. He says... I go to the one who sent me. Would you say that? I go to the one who sent me. He doesn't say I'm going to a beautiful place with pearly gates and golden streets. He doesn't say I'm going to a place where there'll be no more sorrow or suffering. To him, heaven was not a place. It was a relationship. You hear that? It's not a place. It's a relationship. It was a reunion he was going to return to his father. Now, let's just stop for a second with that. That's really important. It's about being with someone, not going to some place that's really pretty. This is, this is significant. I, my house right now, I've got, a, I've got a, a guy that mows my lawn. And so my lawn is mowed. And uh, it's, my place is weeded and I work on it. It's pretty. Uh, my house looks nice right now. But... If I go home and that house is empty, it's a pretty house. It only becomes home when Mary's there. It's home when we're together. You, you follow this? Heaven, it's a pretty place. But heaven isn't heaven because it's pretty. Heaven isn't heaven because uh, there's no sickness or disease. Heaven is, so often people just want to go, I don't want to be in that place, I want to be in this place. Notice the difference in thinking. It isn't about being not going to the bad place, but going to the good place. Jesus says, I go to be with him. And you and I go to be with him. It's about a relationship. And if it's about relationship, that relationship can start now. When he spoke these words, he had not yet been spiritually separated from his father. That terrible moment would arrive a few months later when for a few hours he would die alone on the cross. But even now, simply by becoming a man, that relationship had changed. It was not the face-to-face -face relationship that it had been, but after his death and resurrection, he would return to that. Death was just a brief transition for him. He doesn't even mention it here, though he is talking about what will happen to him after he dies. 
That's because he was absolutely certain of what awaited him on the other side. He would close his eyes in this world and open them in the next. Death was merely a doorway, not the end of his existence. With this in mind, let's listen again to the way he described his death. I am still with you for a little while longer before I go to the one who sent me. A warning. He was primarily addressing these remarks to the Pharisees and religious police who had been sent to arrest him. Basically, he told them, you can't arrest me or kill me until God's appointed time has arrived. And it's not here yet. But it is coming soon, and when it does, death won't be the end of me. You will simply send me back to my father. And then he added a warning. You will seek for me, but not find me, because where I am, you cannot come. To understand what he meant, we need to examine each part of this statement. First, you will seek for me. Would you say that? You he told people who wanted to kill him that they would search for him after he died. What did he mean by this? I think there are three possible answers, which, and I actually think he meant all three of them. Number one, you will look for my body after I've been resurrected, but you will not find it because I will physically ascend to heaven. I mentioned to you earlier this, this account. It's in Matthew 28 where uh, the... The guards were sent to watch over the tomb so that the body could not be taken because the religious leaders had heard him say, I will rise from the dead. And they said, well, what's going to happen is his, his disciples will come and steal the body, take it away. And so they, they, the Pilate gave them permission and they put uh, guards by the tomb. Uh, they wanted to last through the three days that he had said uh, so that uh, no one could take the body and, and claim a resurrection. And then you recall the, the earthquake came and the stone rolled away and the angels sat there and, and who knows what all happened. Well, they, they, and they're down. They, they just went out, uh, uh, fainted, uh, were, were slain in the spirit, you know, kind of thing. Uh, they're on the ground. And they come back and report uh, what happened. How did the religious leaders respond? Now, if, if, if your guards came back and said, so there was this earthquake, and of course, everybody felt that. And, uh, and then the ro stone rolled away. And then, here was, here was angels. I mean, you, could hardly, you couldn't even look at them. They're so bright. And, then, and, they're, and you know, uh, all of that. And, you, and, and what would you say? <laughs> Here's what they said. Some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we, we were asleep. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. How would, how would Matthew know that? Was there a snitch on the inside of that Sanhedrin? There's a couple of them actually. Can you name them? Nicodemus, he's sitting there watching this garbage. Who else? Joseph? Arimathea? Yeah. They heard from the inside. And this report, is the, they, they, they listened to it. There are still people, you may be aware of this, who are 
looking for Jesus' body, hoping to find it and disprove the resurrection. Every Easter, uh, public broadcasting will put on some sort of special about the tomb of Jesus, you know, or something like that. Uh, this is still going on. I just saw a magazine article on, the, on uh, they're looking for the tomb of Jesus. Uh, they find these, um, and I'll show you a picture of what I'm saying right now. Uh, these bone boxes, ossuaries, uh, they find the, uh, and uh, they just, they had one, which is really, really, problematic because it says uh, James, the brother of, of Jesus. And, uh, uh, and so they keep saying, well, it can't be. And they're trying to discredit because the, it's all really old. And anyway, um, but they're trying to find the, the, the bone box of Jesus or something like that, you know, because yes, uh, we would have found it. I, I remember years ago, they found an a, a, a ankle bone with a spike through it. By the way, in a bone box. This, do you know that archaeology does nothing but prove the Bible? Years ago, they used to say that that whole thing of the Jews crucifying, I mean, of the Romans crucifying Jesus and then allowing him to be buried was completely false and completely invented mythology because the Romans would never allow a crucified, you know, a Jew to have the dignity of a burial. And then, oops, they come up with a spike through a heel bone uh, in a bone box. Well, there went that theory. That just goes on and on and on. So, but anyway, when they found that thing, um, I actually was visiting a, uh, a man who I, I belonged, believe it or not, it's one of my odd parts of my history. I, for four years, I was part of a, a paleontological society, a, a fossil hunting group, a serious one. Uh, I mean, there's a museum to this day, a good one. Um, and I, I, I worked in that thing a lot. Um, so when you talk about dinosaurs and fossils and geological strata and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I lived it and I really enjoyed it. But the guy who led us was actually the son of Baptist missionaries in China. And uh, he, he, he had run in the Olympics barefoot, you know, or other trials. Uh, he, was a, he was a wonderful man. I, I loved him dearly, but his faith was struggling. And I went to visit him uh, some years after I graduated. And uh, he mentioned this and he said, you know, they found this, this bone with a spike through it. And then he looked at me and he said, do you think it could be Jesus? And I looked at him and I said, no, sir. It couldn't possibly be. And he went, oh, right. Right. Isn't this the struggle? Well, I pray for, I, he's passed away now. I loved him so much. And I don't know where he was. I don't know what happened with all of that that kind of beat the faith out of a man who was raised by Baptist missionaries in China. How, how do you end up to that point where you wonder? They're still looking for the body of Jesus. It's, if they could find it, it would be the, they, would, they, would, it would, they would shout it from the housetops. Of course, they won't. It's uh, hard to reach right now. <laughs> Number two. <laughs> you will seek for me, but you will, here, you will long for the Messiah when terrible persecution arrives. False messiahs will arise and promise to deliver you from bondage, but they will only lead you to destruction. And by then, I, the real messiah, will be gone. And this would take place uh, 40 years later. It would, it would happen in such horrible, horrible uh, f fashion. Uh, the, the, the great rev uh, revolt would happen among the Jews. The Romans would come. They would land in the north, up there by Haifa in that area. And they would sweep through the Galilee uh, with, the, with the 10th and uh, later the 15th legion. They would sweep through Galilee, killing five 
100,000 people just basically burning everybody's town and cutting them, uh, uh, killing them. One, one town they came to, 5,000 Jews jumped to their death uh, off, of, off a cliff. 5,000. Uh, and then they would go, went down the Pere, down Perea, which is the, the east side of the Jordan River, swept down through all the, those communities, then, then into Judea, and, and went all through the towns and villages of Judea until nothing was left but Jerusalem. Surrounded Jerusalem, besieged it, uh, waited till they're starved, and then broke through the wall. And, and, and killed, Josephus says, a million point one, I think. A million point one. Listen to what Jesus says, Luke 12, uh, 17, 22. He says, days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. That was a Messiah who, remember what, what the issue was with Jesus? They, they saw these miracles, and they wanted him to lead them militarily against the Romans. He refused Palm Sunday, that's the very thing he's saying. He's coming into, Palm, coming into Jerusalem riding on what? A little donkey. Generals don't ride donkeys. You, you just, it, ain't, it, didn't, it didn't work. Image is wrong. Generals ride horses. And so he's coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. On purpose. It comes right out of the prophets, of course. And he's saying, I am a peaceful Messiah. I have not come to lead your army. And they're going, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Yes! And they're, I mean, this, this clash is going on. This whole thing. And then he says, in the next verse, this is actually on the way down of what I just described down the, the, the side of the Mount of Olives. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. Saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes, you did not recognize the time of your visitation. And then he says to them exactly what will happen. They're going to throw up a siege wall around you and butcher you. What, were the, what are the things he, he says? I am Messiah. And if you would listen to me, I will teach you the things that make for peace. You want peace? I can tell you how to have peace. What was his uh, formula? Turn the other cheek when they slap you. When they ask you, when, the, when a soldier comes and says, take my gear and carry it a mile, carry it too. Put him to shame. Show him your love. Pray for him. And you'll win the Roman army. And we see that, don't we? We see centurion after centurion, soft and responsive. Jesus' ways are not our ways. We want to fight. He wants us to love and pray. <laughs> Still goes on, by the way. Luke 23. On his way to the cross. Listen to this. He's, he, has been, he has been flogged. He, has, he, is, he is so weak, he can't carry, his, he can't carry the cross. He can't carry the, uh, the, the cross beam. Uh, he is... And, and these, 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 the, so many women uh, believed in him. And he had this great following of women. And, and they're, they're following along and they're weeping over what they're seeing. And he turns to them. What a, what, a, what a person. He turns to them and says, daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me. But weep for yourselves and your children. 
For days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore. For if they do these things when the tree is green, if now with God's hand still on Israel, this kind of savagery, this kind of turning away from the things of God can take place, what will they do when the tree is dry? What will God do when he lifts his hand and he brings his judgment? And it was, I just described it for you, it was hideous. It was absolutely horrible. So, they'll seek for him. They'll seek for a Messiah. But it will have been too late. Number three, you will seek for me. You will long for a Savior after you die and face your eternal destiny. But by then, it will be too late. John 8, he he takes this very theme up again. He says, then he said uh, again to them, I go away and you will seek me. And you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. You cannot change on the other side. Notice he is completely aware uh, and, and, des- and describing the consciousness of the human spirit after death. You on the other side will look for a savior. You're going to, oh no, what have I done? And by then it's too late. There is no turning on the other side, people. The good news is you live forever. The bad news is you live forever. This is the message that has to come out. You have to understand you're made in God's image. Every single person. That means your spirit. You're essentially spirit. And you are a person. A conscious, rational person. Who is so close to God's image. That God can put his son into, into our condition. And perfectly express himself. You follow that? We are friend to friend with God. We are person to person with God. Not not owner to pet. This isn't a God with his anthill. This is is person to person. You've been made in that. That's the lovely wonder of it. Because you were designed to be his children. His sons and his daughters. And to have Jesus as our eldest son. And to, to love our father forever. That's what you were made for. And you're having an opportunity here to decide whether you want to be with him or not. It's not going to be a slave camp. It's a family gathering. It's those who love him, who want to be with him. And those decisions are being made here on planet earth. That's what we're here for. That's what's being decided. But once you get on the other side, you can't go, oh man, what have I done? You can't change there. That's the warning of it all. You will seek for me, but you will not find me. He said, would you say you will not find me? He warned them that the time would come when they would look for him. They would look for his body, but it would be gone. They would need his power to rescue them from the Romans, but they'd miss their opportunity. And someday, each one of them would wake up on the other side of the grave and frantically look for a savior. But it would be too late. Where we spend eternity is determined in this life, not the next. If we haven't found him here, we won't find him there. And see... You will seek for me and you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Let's say that. And where I am, you cannot come. The final verdict given to those who reject Jesus will be this. Where I am, you cannot come. In other words, I will be with the Father, but because of your unbelief, you will be separated from me 
And therefore you will be separated from him as well. For Jesus, eternal life meant being with his father. For us, eternal life means being with Jesus. And because we are joined to him, we are able to be with the father. There's a very important revelation here. We can only be in heaven because we are there with Jesus. We could not enter the Father's presence or remain without, without him. We will be there because Jesus is there. In other words, Jesus didn't merely open the door to heaven and let us in. He continues to clothe us with his righteousness so that we can stay there. That parable that I, I mentioned there, I, I'll just tell it to you, Matthew 22, that I reference is that wedding feast given for a king's son. And he sends out his invitations, remember this? And he says, come for the place is ready. And those who were, those who were actually chosen uh, don't come. They, they, most of them say, no, I'm busy. I don't want to come. And so he says go out to his servants, go out to the highways and the byways and, the, and compel them to come in. Remember this? So he goes out and gets people like you and me <laughs> to fill his household. And, and, and then someone is there uh, who doesn't have a wedding garment on. Remember this? There's a, there's a person in the thing, and he says, friend, how did, how did you, what, what are you doing here without a wedding garment? And he, and, he, and he says, take him and cast him out. You and I are not only there uh, because of Christ, we, are there, we stay there because we remain clothed with Christ. He's why we will be with our Father forever. I, um, Mary had really wanted to go to this, to our reunion. It was our 45th college reunion, and everybody's so... Um, Bald and, and old, they don't recognize me. Anyway. <laughs> but uh, she was getting together with her nursing class, and they were very close. You know, they did all that work together and stuff. And, um, and so they had this gathering of, of, of the nurses and, and those kinds of things. Well, on, on the way home, uh, we were TSA pre-check. That means uh, we've been checked out and we're supposed to be able to go through without taking our shoes off or some of that stuff. And, uh, but Mary had our tickets. And so I'm following her. You know, I'm right behind her. And then we were heading into this TSA pre-check line. And uh, Mary shows her, her ticket. And the lady lets her through. And then she looks at me. And I said... Because I, I didn't have the ticket. She did. I said, I'm with her. She says, okay. And I, I got in. When you get to heaven, you're going to, I'm with him. That's what you do. That's, all you, that's what you say right there. I'm with him. With him forever. So what will heaven be like? John later saw it in a vision. And he said it has golden streets and a river with water as clear as crystal. It has fruit trees that bear 12 different kinds of fruit all year long. The city gates are made out of big pearls and the buildings are made out of a clear gold you can see through. But if all I wanted was a pretty place, I could find a nice park and spend the day there. What turns that beautiful place into heaven for those who love him is that Jesus will be there. It becomes heaven because we get to be with him forever. Listen. John 12. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. John 14. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. 
If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, say where I am, that where I am, there you may be also. In John 17, Father, let me just say, this is the high priestly prayer. The night he was arrested, we're in the upper room, John 13 through 17, all of that is describing what happened that night he was arrested in the upper room. The last thing he did was pray over, over them and us. And he specifically says, and for all who will believe through their word. So he was literally praying that prayer of John 17 for you and me. And, and one of the things he says is this. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am. See it? Where I am. So that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Now, if the essence of eternal life is not being in a pretty place or living for a long time, but being with Jesus, then eternal life can start now. We can enter into that relationship of perfect love right now. We can safely give him our heart, knowing he will never abandon or betray us. Jesus said, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds, say beholds, beholds the Son and believes, say believes. believes. Notice those two steps. Beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. To behold means to see Him with revelation. To know who Jesus is and what He has done for us. It's to have the understanding, but that's not enough. You can't, you know, you can grow up in church and in a sense, behold, you can know all that information, but it is not enough to behold. You must behold and believe. Believe is an action of the will. It is where you reach out and say, I choose. Jesus, I know what you did. I know who you are. And I choose to surrender to you and to believe and trust you. I, I like to think of it as putting our arms around the cross and just hanging on. You are my Savior. It is because of you uh, I, can have, I, I have heaven ahead of me. So it is, it is the beholding and believing. Then he said this. If anyone loves me, and he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Now that's talking about now. That's not just talking about then. That's talking about right now. If we love him and keep his word, which is obedience. I love the Lord and I, I surrender to him. He is my Lord. I, I obey him as I am able. Then he says, the Father and the Son will come and make our, his, their abode in us. And they do that by, uh, because they are God and they are everywhere. But also because uh, the, the Spirit of God is given to us. And he's going to talk more and more now about the Holy Spirit as we get into this section of John. Uh, they come and live within us. That begins now. If we behold and believe, if we love and obey, He and the Father come to be with us now. The relationship starts now. When we worship and pray, His sweet presence comes over us now. And that relationship dramatically changes the way a person thinks about eternal life. It causes us to think like Jesus. We too are only here for a little while longer. 
And then we go to be with him. We will close our eyes in this world and open them in the next. Death is only the, a doorway, not an end. And we pass through it into the arms of our dearest friend. And when we arrive, we won't meet someone new. It will be a reunion. Finally, we'll see him face to face. And that will be heaven. Let me ask you a question. If Jesus, in person, physically, were to walk in that back door and come up here and stand here on, on this podium, what would be your reaction? Would you look up at him and say, Why? That's Jesus. I, 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 I so admire him. I, I, I've always wanted to meet him. You may admire him. You may know about him. You may think very highly of him. But would you be meeting a stranger? Or, as he stood here, would you look up and say, There you are, my dearest friend. Do you already know him? That's a very important question. And it's one that as I ask it, you'll, it'll, it'll sift your heart. You'll know. No, I, I think highly of Jesus. I admire him. I believe in that stuff. But do you know him? Because eternal life is about knowing him now. I, uh, my wife, uh, I, I, I double-checked this last night with, with her a couple times, actually. <laughs> She's my truthometer. You know, if I... Mm -hmm. So I appreciate it. She came home from work one day as a nurse. Um, my wife was a nurse. And she came home, and there had been quite a kerfluffle uh, at the nursing station. Um, one of the nurses uh, had, uh, her aunt had just died that night. Um, and she had been with her in the room as, as she died. And she came and reported to all, all of the nurses uh, what had happened. And she said, so my aunt sit, is, is there in bed. And she said, uh, she suddenly sat up. And she said, she looked straight forward at the door. And she said, oh, Jesus, don't leave without me. And collapsed dead in bed. Boy, that, the, the medical community was having a discussion. <laughs> you know, it smell like fresh bread, you know, I gotta say. Uh, did you notice what, what her aunt saw? He came to take her home. People, I think that's what happens. I think our Lord's there. I think you close your eyes, I think you open your eyes, and He's there waiting for you. For us, it's just a doorway, it's a passage. The process can be a little icky, but death is not our enemy. It's not even a fear in that sense. It's not, it's not something that will be with us forever. Of course, it'll pass away, in fact, and we have eternal life. Death will be gone. It's destroyed in, in what Jesus does. I was, um, uh, this was years ago. Uh, I took a group of our pastors to a particular revival sort of event, and uh, we just wanted to see what was going on and, and to sort of test and see, and if it was what we thought of it. And uh, uh, we were there, and uh, quite a lot of activity going on, and um, 
not as much of the presence of God. It wasn't evil, but I just didn't sense much power there to, uh, anyway. Uh, but that night I was, I was sort of troubled, sort of confused, you know, and I felt, I felt a bit lonely. We were staying in a motel and, and I went, went to sleep and, and this was very unusual. I'm not describing simply something that happens a lot, you know. This was one of a couple of times in my life that something is, as direct as this took place. I woke I came to consciousness lying in bed uh, in the middle of the night. And it's like my spirit woke up. And I, I was very, uh, very awake suddenly, um, but I was still down. And I sensed someone leaning over me. And uh, right here. And I sensed a light. Uh, I, I, my, I, it was just this strong light and someone was here. And what's interesting to me is what my spirit just said automatically. I, I didn't think this up. This is just what my, my spirit just said to him. I said, there you are. I knew you'd come. I knew he loved me. I knew I belonged to him. I knew we were friends. I knew that that relationship is there. Do you have that? It isn't, I mean... We've all got our issues. We've got stuff. Come on. We, we're, we're trying to grow and become like Jesus the rest of our lives. But do you know that? Are you secure in that? Because that is where he's going. That's what he wants for us. Amen. When I was a boy, let me compare that with what happened to me when I was 12 years old. Listen, listen to the way I responded in that moment. I was, you, you've heard my story. I just hit to the right to the mark. I was sitting in a, in a little prayer meeting in, in uh, 29 Palms and, and suddenly the power of God was there and, and, and a woman talks in another language. I, didn't even, I, thought, I thought they were bilingual people and, 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 then, and then a man starts talking and, and I, I said, well, that's God. And then this, it, listen to this. And the next thing I said was, so there is one. And then I said, I want to hear what he has to say. I was meeting him. Notice the difference. Meeting him for a first time. I mean, I knew about God. I, some things about God. I didn't know much about God, but I knew some things. And, but I was meeting him versus, there you are. I knew you'd come. What is it for you? You know. You can sense right now, even as I say this. He invites us. He says, if you will behold the Son and believe in him. And that's where that choice comes. He says, if you will love him and, and keep my words, which means obey and follow, surrender, bow that knee to him. He says, I and my father will come and we will make our abode in you. Meaning we will remain there. We will come into relationship with you. Eternal life starts now, right here, right now, when we welcome him. So that when we step into death, we're not meeting anyone new. We open our eyes. And I'll tell you what I'm looking I just sort of picture this. I'm going to, I need to run to him. And I need to bury my face a little bit in his prayer shawl. And I need to cry a little bit. Life has its things, doesn't it? I need to kind of get it out. But I just need to be with him. I'm looking for is to be with him. That's what heaven is. 
Would you bow your heads with me just one moment? I asked that question if Jesus were to stand here. How would you react? Is, is this someone you know and who's your, 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 your dear friends with? He's, he's, your, he's your companion day by day. Or is this someone you've heard about? You'll sense that. I've just told you, he's told you, I've just quoted his words, that if you will behold him and believe in him, meaning choose, embrace it by faith and say, faith is a choice. Uh, you don't have to say, can I work this up? You, you can choose and say, I don't understand a lot of things, but I choose to trust Jesus Christ. That's where I put my, my, my confidence on him. Anyone today want to raise your hand and say, Jesus, I behold you and I believe in you. I love you and I choose to abide in your word. Anyone want to raise your hand and say, that's me, pastor. Yes, yes. Anyone else that I've missed? Praise you, Jesus. Yes. Yes, thank you. Thanks for help. I can't see very well. Blessed be God. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? This is not a game. This is a moment when the word's been preached. Faith is here. The spirit is here. This is an opportunity. It's like that door is just standing open in front of us. and We can step through or not. And I'm just inviting you to do that if that's right. Blessed be the Lord. Anyone else? This is my last, my last invitation. Yes, praise God. Thank you, Lord. All right. Yes, I see your hand. And I agree with you. Each one who's raised your hand, we agree with this step of faith, this decision you're making right now. This is the most important thing. You can't do it on the other side, but you sure can do it here. And I'll guarantee you, this will be the one, most wonderful decision you've ever made in your life. Church, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. You sent your beloved Son to show us yourself. He died on the cross for my sins, for our sins. He paid the penalty I should pay. He died the death I should die so that I am set free. You are the just and the justifier. You decided how to forgive my sins and you paid the price. I believe with all my heart because of Jesus Christ, my sins are forgiven. I am beloved. I am clean. There is no wrath. You are my father. You will come and make your abode in me and you will never leave me. I love you. And I welcome you, dear Jesus Christ. Jesus, because of what you've done, I surrender to you. I bow my knee. This day, I declare, I am not my own Lord. I am not in charge of my own life. You are. I want you to lead me. I want you to clean me up. I want you to change me. I want you to use my life. I want to serve you and live for you all the days of my life. You have given me eternity. I give you what's left of my life. And I mean this with all my heart. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Now one more thing, if you would. The Lord, what you have just done in believing on Jesus Christ... And on surrendering, which is ultimately the heart of repentance. You have just given him lordship and acknowledged that you are no longer in control. You have repented of your rebellion and you have surrendered to your Lord.
Now, that makes you righteous. In God's heart, uh, you are now forgiven. Uh, your sins are passed away. And you have received the salvation that God has sent you. Now, what he gives to you is, is the Spirit of God to dwell in, within you. And I want to acknowledge that specifically. So, if you would put your hand on your heart. In a sense, you're laying hands on, your, on yourself right now. And, and honestly, you can do that, by the way. You're laying hands on yourself. But as a symbol, because we're going to receive the Holy Spirit. Here we go. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, you have poured out the Holy Spirit without measure. Oh, I receive right now the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and dwell within me. Rivers of living water flowing out of my innermost being. Baptize me with the Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus. May the gifts of God, the calling of God, be fired by the Spirit. I receive all the gifts. Uh, I receive uh, word of knowledge and wisdom. Prophecy, the gift of tongues, a healing, all of these gifts at work through me. I will follow you and be used by you in service. Come Holy Spirit. I am a holy temple. Never leave me for all eternity. I pray this now in the name of Jesus who gives me everything. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.